everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our September book club episode for Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. And this is a book I think we both really loved. So I'm excited to talk through it. I think I loved it even more rereading it. My love for it's it is only growing. Beautiful. It's, it's such a beautiful book. I enjoyed it so much. But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by Newly. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode, but you can take $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BOP20. All right, Olivia, let's get into some highs and lows. What is your high? My high is that I'm in the Outer Banks for like our annual family two-week vacation here. I've been actually working on copy edits. So like the last stages (laughs) of my book, which has been really nice in the morning, like as the sun rises over the ocean. And then after lunch every day, I've been reading at the beach. It's storming today, but it's been really beautiful weather until now. And it's just been like a really nice combination of things. Oh, also I am on a hot reading streak. Like I have loved I've seen. so many books lately. You are just like Tom on Lake. a patio yeah. on the beach with a book. Like <laughs> it is, it is giving major FOMO. It is very nice. Although my low is that because I'm on this trip, I can't be at your live book launch events, which is very depressing. I wish I could just like teleport between the two places easier (laughs) than I can right now with the dog and everything. But I'm very excited for your week as well. So tell me your high. Well, so I guess as a preface, I don't want people to be bummed. But in real life, my book has come out on Tuesday, the 26th but we're recording this in advance. So it's Friday, September 22nd when we're recording. So nothing's happened yet. So podcast Becca is just still in the before. But I'm having a really exciting week leading up to my book launch. Earlier this week, I went to Word Bookstore in Greenpoint to sign books. And I mean, first of all, it was just such an unbelievable experience that anyone wanted me to sign anything. And then second, it was just the largest pile of my book I'd ever seen in one place. Like it it really felt... That's so cool. I don't know. It felt like something. So Mm -hmm. that was so, so exciting. I'm starting to see people DM me and post in the Facebook group that their pre-orders are arriving. So that's really exciting. People are starting to read it. I feel like all of my anxious energy is now just pure excitement and maybe verging on mania. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm really excited. And then tonight, I was just telling you before we started recording, as one of my gifts to myself for selling my book, I treated myself to partial season ballet tickets at the New York City Ballet. And I'm obsessed with the ballet. It's one of my favorite things. So the first performance I bought tickets for is tonight. And I'm so excited. That sounds like it's going to be just the perfect addition to an already really exciting week. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's like a great treat to take my mind off things, but also to feels a little celebratory. Good. What's your low? Well, the good news is is that my low has already turned into a high. My low is that on Wednesday, I got my COVID and my flu shot and felt like somebody punched me in the arm. I felt pretty crummy for about six hours yesterday. The good news is, and this is not medical advice, this is just my own experience. The good news is that I felt less sick after the shot than I have after any previous shot. So that's something. But it was kind of a bummer to knock myself out like that. But now I feel great. And now I have my protection from the flu and hopefully from COVID as well. Great. 
I'm glad you bounced back quickly. That's yeah. not a good feeling. I wanted to get it out of the way before my my book stuff. I know it takes two weeks to kick in, but I figured better sooner than One later. One thing to worry about. I know. I know. More energy to concentrate on all the good things coming. So I know you alluded to your low being that you can't be in two places at once. Is that is that the whole of your low? You're forgiven, by the way. Kind of. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That is mostly my low. I just, I know I'm going to be like, oh, I wish I was there, but... Hopefully the virtual event will be very fun. And obviously, you know, you have all my support from afar. Yes. Oh my gosh. Your Instagram post with your highlights earlier this week. I'd been out the night before for my friend Sarah's birthday. And so I woke up kind of late and I opened Instagram and it was the first thing in my feed. And I was literally like tearing up first thing in the morning. (laughs) I loved seeing people's comments so much like about how they were excited and which lines like really spoke to them that I had highlighted and which made them laugh and which like convinced them to pre-order. Like it was just so nice. So obviously I meant everything and I'm just really excited for you. Oh, thank you. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to have you be (laughs) in the, not hot seat, but have you be in the celebration seat next spring. Oh, thanks. We'll see. It seems impossible at this point, but We'll get there when we get there. I think it's going to happen. I I I think the train has left the station. (laughs) We'll see. Well, let's take a quick ad break before we get into this book. So while we're recording the podcast in advance, in the real world, my book, The Christmas Orphans Club, is out now and available online wherever books are sold. You might also spot it at your local indie bookstore or Target or Barnes & Noble, and maybe even at the airport. And if you do, please send me a picture. So if for whatever reason you haven't gotten your copy yet, it's easier than ever. And in case you missed my pitch for the book, the book is a friend-mance. So the central story is about a group of four friends who are more like family and have built a Christmas tradition over a decade. And when one of the friends, Finn, announces that he's moving from New York to L.A., Hannah's world is turned upside down, and she decides that this Christmas must be their best yet, even as her serious boyfriend is urging that they should spend the holiday together. The book is told in alternating now and then timelines, and in the past chapters, which all take place on Christmas, you get to see the greatest hits of their past celebrations and how this friend group came to be. And in the present, the group is at that inflection point in your late 20s or early 30s, where it goes from your friends being the most important people in your life to having all these competing pressures of work and relationships and people starting to move away. And they're really grappling with growing up without growing apart. If you've never read a holiday book, I still think you should give this a shot. My goal was to make it fun without being cheesy. And a lot of the reviews are saying that I struck that balance. So pick up your copy of The Christmas Orphans Club. And after you read, make sure to leave a review on Goodreads or Amazon to help other people find it too. I'm truly so, so grateful for the support of this community. I feel like I have an army of book lovers at my back and there is no better feeling. So let's get into the summary of this book before we dive into some questions. Please. Tom Lake follows the story of Laura Nelson, who lives on a cherry farm in Michigan with her husband, Joe, and her three adult daughters, Emily, Nell, and Maisie. Set in the early days of the pandemic, the family finds themselves living and working together, harvesting cherries and reminiscing about Laura's brief career as an actor. 
specifically her time acting and falling in love with mega famous actor Peter Duke. Of course, when Lara met Duke, he wasn't the Academy Award winning celebrity he eventually became, but naturally Emily, Nell, and Maisie are fascinated with their mom's account of the one who got away. But as it turns out, Lara and Duke's story isn't really as simple as just that. All right, Olivia, this was my pick for book club, and I would love to hear what you thought of the book. I love this book. This was definitely one of my favorite books of the year. I will say that it was like a different reading experience than I was expecting. Like it was so much more atmospheric. Like I was expecting like plot, plot, plot. And really it was just like, I fell in love with the cherry orchard, (laughs) I think. Yeah. The fact that you are not seeking out Michigan real estate right now to move. (laughs) Becca, I'm not kidding you. I literally was just on Zillow. Okay, Okay, great. (laughs) I literally was on Zillow before we started recording right now. And I was like, let's see what's available. As I was because finishing man. this yesterday, I was like, oh, Olivia's going to move to Michigan. <laughs> I mean, it was stunning. Like just the mental picture I had of this place and the story really kind of, I mean, we can get into all of this, but the love story was so much different than I was expecting. Anyway, what were your thoughts? Obviously you picked it, you love it, but what made you love it so much? I love this book. I mean, we all know that a famous person, normal person romance is my favorite. And I feel like this is the most elevated level of that. I was really interested in the mother and daughter's story because I feel like a lot of the books I read are told from the point of view of women who are in their 20s or 30s looking at their mom and maybe realizing for the first time that their mom is a fully formed human who had experiences before they were born. But in this case, it's told from the mom's point of view. And not to say that it's the only book that's ever done that, but I guess I just haven't read that many. So I found that to be really, really interesting. And I also just thought, I don't know, I'm so impressed with how much was packed into this book. Yeah. As I was writing questions for this, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much in this book. Like it was just firing on so many levels. And I truly think that if I went to this book with a highlighter, it would come away more highlighter than book. Oh, yes. Like it was so so incredibly beautifully written, but it also had so much plot. It had so much social commentary. Like I was just so impressed by the whole thing. Yeah, it was wonderful. I was so impressed by all of it. And now how did you consume it? Did you read it with your eyes or did you do the audio or both? I read it with my eyes. As people probably know, I guess if you listen, I read much more than I listen to books. But um, yeah, I just finished this a couple of days ago. I loved the experience of reading this in a physical book. Like this felt to me like if you're going to read a physical book, something like this is the way to do it because it is so beautiful. And there were so many lines, like you said, that I should go back and highlight. But you read it and you listened to it. Yeah, I did both. So I originally read it in hard copy. And then I listened to the audio partially because a lot of times when I refresh for a podcast episode, I'll do the audio and kind of just like listen to it on a really fast speed or skip around. But then also because I'd heard such good things about this book on audio because Meryl Streep narrates the audio. And so I went in with the intentions that I was going to kind of do a quick reread and maybe just like skip around because I'd read it less than a month ago. And I ended up listening to the whole thing at a normal speed because I was enjoying it so much. And not that I doubted Meryl Streep's ability, but I feel like voice acting is something that's so specific, especially with the character voices. And I was 
blown away by her character voices. And then I also feel like her performance and even just her intonations lent so much to the lines of the book. Like, it was incredible. Like, I almost recommend to you that you should go back and listen to it as well. Yeah, I would love that. I heard someone say that the audio offered like a lot of humor, which if you think about this book, there are funny lines, but like, it's definitely not a book that you're going to be like, yeah, you're going to be laughing out loud the whole time. So I thought that was really interesting too. It was doubly interesting for me because I happened to also be listening to this audiobook that is a biography of Meryl Streep, just by coincidence. I picked this book up as a research book for the book that I'm writing now because the main character is an actress. And I was like, oh, this is a book she would have read. And so I just wanted to read the book, but I'm not really a nonfiction person. And so I'd started listening to it in audio and it's called Her Again. And it's fascinating because it's really about Meryl Streep's early years, especially her her 20s from her time in college through when she films Kramer versus Kramer. And I did not realize that Meryl Streep was very big in theater before she became a film actress. And I think she did winter stock, not summer stock. But it was fascinating knowing how this overlapped with Meryl's life as well. And I'm almost curious if Ann Patchett read this book at all or talked to Meryl Streep about any of this because it was kind of as if it could have been Meryl Streep's fake biography. Yeah. And also Meryl Streep had this one big passionate love before her now husband, who she has her children with. She was with John Cazale, who is Fredo in The Godfather. And he ended up dying very young of cancer. And she was in her 20s and he was in his 40s. And I'm like, you know, not that he was Peter Duke, but I was like, oh my gosh. And she also has this love story. And then she has three daughters. And I was just, the parallels were kind of uncanny. She does have three daughters. That's right. Yeah. She has a son too. It's funny you, oh yeah. Well, still. It's funny you mentioned that though, because I was also Googling Meryl Streep like in recent times. And I was learning about that love story that I had never heard about. So yeah, there are a lot of parallels. There are a lot of parallels. You're right. Well, I was desperate to know how Meryl Streep came to narrate the audiobook. And I will say that me being knocked down yesterday with the COVID vaccine, I basically laid in bed and I listened to podcasts and I ended up more listening. I was kind of dizzy, so I wasn't really watching with my eyes. But I ended up watching the live stream of the event that Ann Patchett did earlier this week at Books Are Magic. She did a conversation with Emma Straub, past podcast guest, and she was talking about how Meryl came to narrate this audiobook. And she said that her UK agent is Felicity Blunt, who's Stanley Tucci's wife. Right. Mm-hmm. And Ann Patchett had had lunch with Meryl Streep like 15 years ago, because there was a minute where it seemed like she might play a character in the movie adaptation of Bel Canto. And so she then sent the ask through Felicity Blunt. And apparently Meryl Streep was like, oh, I'm so touched that you would think of me for this. Oh my God. First of all, if I had lunch with Meryl Streep once 15 years ago, it's all I would talk about for the rest of my life. It would become your (laughs) defining personality trait. I'd be like, hi, I'm Olivia. I just think you should know that one time Meryl Streep and I like had a Caesar salad <laughs> together. <laughs> this lunch will pale in comparison, but it's not your fault. Also, like 
I think the only other Ann Patchett book I've read that I can remember is The Dutch House. And Tom Hanks Tom, narrates think, that one. Yes, Tom Hanks narrates that one. So I'm like, wow, Ann Patchett has, has really just like pleased the universe in some way. I mean, obviously her work speaks for itself, but man, that requires some luck and connections as well. Did you enjoy The Dutch House? I remember liking it, but like, I can't remember having a super intense reaction to it. I don't know. I remember bits and pieces of it, but it doesn't stand out to me as something that I was like, wow, I I am going to think about this for the rest of my life. Uh, What about you? So I tried to read State of Wonder. This is the book that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in Big Magic in the chapter where she's making the case that ideas are sentient and can kind of flip from one person to another. And her and Ann Patchett both had the same idea for this book. And so I was curious and I started to read it. This was years ago. I remember my impression being that it was very slow. And so that was one of my Mm -hmm. main concerns coming into this book. I thought that it was going to be very light on plot, you know, kind of how literary fiction can be sometimes where it's really beautiful writing, but not much is happening. And I didn't find Mm -hmm. that at all. Yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think it was super fast paced, but I certainly was always compelled to keep turning the pages. Oh, I did. And I think the switching between the story within the story and then the reality of them being on the cherry orchard, I feel like it really kept my attention. And the book was only around 300 pages. Like I felt like it really Mm -hmm. moved. There was so much happening in it. What about Our Town, the play, which is obviously mentioned throughout the entire book? Had you ever heard of this? Do you have any familiarity with it? I've heard of it. I've never seen it performed. I've never read it. Honestly, I feel like through this book, Ann Padgett did such a good job that I could probably give you a pretty good summary of what the play is about. At least I think oh, that. Really? <laughs> but Maybe I need to listen to it again because I feel like I could like talk about certain scenes, but I couldn't actually tell you what it's about. I don't think. Now I'm too embarrassed that I'm going to get it wrong. But I, I think... No, say it. Well, I think it's about the courtship and then subsequent marriage of George and Emily. Right. And Is that it? And Yeah. In Act One, they're like courting and then they get married. And then in Act Three, Emily dies in childbirth. Yeah. Maybe we should go see this. <laughs> Is it still out somewhere? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm after this book, I'm curious, even though it doesn't really sound like my cup of tea, but apparently Ann Patchett reads Our Town every year. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's okay. like something well, that's very I mean, personally important to her. Yeah. I wonder if that was like the single thing that sparked this entire book. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to ask her when we get lunch with her because we are very similar to Meryl Streep. <laughs> oh, it's all of us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Let's take an ad break. This episode is sponsored by Newly. So I'm in the Outer Banks right now. And in past years, literally any time I have come here or like gone on any trip for that matter, I have purchased clothing in anticipation of the trip. This is not a habit that I'm proud of, but it always just felt so tempting to choose something new and special for every exciting life event. Now, Newly helps me add new and special items to my travel wardrobes and then send them back when I'm done with them. Newly gives you your choice of any six styles each month. That's a lot of clothes, and you can choose whatever you want to rent for whatever events you have going on during any given month. That's why I love it. I can get special pieces that I might wear once and 
yeah, take a photo of and then just send them back. And I don't have them sitting in my closet. Like I wear this like really cute farm Rio dress that was like very statementy to my friend Sarah's birthday dinner. And I was like, if this was something I owned, I would probably only maybe wear it one more time this season. But instead, I don't have to worry about it. I'm like, oh, ship it back. Not mine. Perfect. It's also so nice for transitional seasons. Like right now, the weather is starting to get cooler. And I'm so excited about using Newly to try out some new fall trends and to like kind of figure out what my fall style is. I feel like, I don't know about you, I feel like trends are changing so much faster and I'm just like not sure what to wear. I get it. I feel the same way. But that's why I love Newly. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service that's all about helping you have fun and get creative with your style. Renting from Newly every month lets me bring seriously trending fall pieces into my wardrobe. The quiet luxury stuff like tailored blazers, chunky knits, and formal dresses that are usually so expensive without dropping that cash on it. And there are thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. Newly carries labels like Free People, Selkie, Farm Rio, Anthropology, Eloquy, Madewell, and more. Plus, they offer petite and maternity sizing as well as plus sizes up to a 5X. Newly also includes fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility. Just a quick example of why I love Newly so much. For this beach trip, I rented summery pieces, but when I get back to New York, it's going to be full fall. This makes me so happy that I rented these items for this vacation instead of purchasing them only to not be able to wear them for another eight or 10 months if I ever wore them again at all. And if I do end up wanting to purchase any of the pieces, I always have that option. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with code BOP20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter code BOP20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code BOP20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. I'm curious how you felt about the inclusion of COVID in the book. Before I started reading it, you said like it's very much in the background. And I was kind of like, COVID looms so large over so many things and has in the past few years, obviously. And I was like, I don't know how how background can it be? But it really did feel like it was just like there. Yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't heavy. Also, it wasn't dismissed either. You know, it was like clear that it was a serious thing. And yeah, I thought it was like the perfect amount of yeah, I thought of COVID. I thought it was so interesting because I know a lot of authors and myself included are really grappling with how do you treat COVID in the timeline of a book. Right. And so with my first book, I set the book in 2018 and 2019 so that I didn't have to deal with it. Like theoretically after the mm-hmm. book, every the world shuts down and like, I don't know. And then, you know, I feel like I've read other books that are about COVID in a more triggering way. Like I'm thinking of Wish You Were Here by Jodi Picoult, Mm -hmm. but I haven't seen it kind of just treated in this way where it's like, it is a fact, but it's not the main point of the book. And I really Mm -hmm. liked that. And I also thought it was really interesting how Lara thought about COVID and having her children home and like how much she was enjoying this togetherness versus her children who felt like they were missing out on what they would otherwise be doing with their lives. And so I, I yeah. thought that that led to a really interesting dynamic too. But overall, like at any point, I wasn't like, 
oh, this is uncomfortable to read about or this is too much. Like it was just like. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this book that I already said was about the mother-daughter relationship, which just felt so different than how I've seen the relationship portrayed in other books. How did you feel about it? Oh, I thought it was great. I thought it was super honest and kind of like painful at times <laughs> to read because I saw some of like my behavior reflected, which was difficult. Like anyway, which sister would you offend? I mean, there's the one part where, and this is top of mind because my mom was talking about something similar that I do in this sense, but where Laura was talking about how Emily doesn't really tell her anything and it kind of like keeps stuff for a long time. Like I'm very much like that sometimes. Like I just have things that I just would rather just keep close to me for a long time for whatever reason. And so to see it from like the mother's perspective of how hard that was and how painful it was, but at the same time to see like how she responded to Emily outward anyway, you know, like (laughs) how she really like gave her space and tried to be understanding the kids conversation also, I thought was really interesting and super accurate, super accurate. What about like the generational differences? Did you like those little parts about like using the word crazy and sexism and all of that? I loved that. I loved, I mean, first of all, okay. I loved that it was made clear to the reader from the very beginning that Lara was not going to tell her daughters the full story partially that she wasn't Mm going to tell them the sex bits, but she was also going to omit some of the parts that they might've been more judgmental of. And I loved, there was this little section where Lara is thinking about sleeping with a director for a part. And her youngest daughter, who's also an actress now is horrified by this. And in her head, Lara's like, yeah, I absolutely would have done this. And Nell's like, this is the most traumatic thing ever. And I thought that the generational attitudes about things like about racism, about sexism, about ableism was such an interesting layer to the story. Yeah. Same. And I also liked how while reading it, it wasn't like I could tell that Ann Patchett was trying to be like the older generation is correct. The younger generation is, is overreacting. Yeah. It felt very just honest. Like this is the type of conversation that would happen both sides have their reason. It's not that one is right or wrong. And I really appreciated that. I also really loved Lara's awareness of her daughter's flaws and needing to protect them or, you know, talking about how everyone was a little afraid of Emily. Like it felt, it was so interesting that, you know, it wasn't just like, these are my daughters and I love them unconditionally. It was like, these are my daughters and I love them unconditionally, but like Emily's a hothead and like Nell's very Mm -hmm. sensitive. And it just like, I thought it was so like her interiority and how that was portrayed. I felt like was so rich and true to life. Not that I have adult daughters. And also like the way that she protected them from those like, it's almost like she let them be totally themselves without projecting all the things that she knows deeply about them. You know, like, oh, you're going to react this way because that's how you are and you've always been this way. It's like she just let them kind of exist as they were, even though she knows why they were acting certain ways, if that makes sense. 
And I also thought it was such an interesting layer to the story that at various points, they either think they know better than her about how it happened, where they're like, no, you and daddy fell in love at Tom Lake, which isn't true. Or, you yeah. know, oh, like Peter Duke was love of your life. Or Emily being like, Peter Duke is my father. And <laughs> her like side comments in her head about her daughters and being like, like just her like her interior monologue around those things of her daughters thinking yeah. that they know better than her about her own life. I thought was really interesting. Yes. yes. And like, it was never angry. That was the other thing. It was never like, I mean, she did say like, I'm going to tell you how it was, but it wasn't like, it was just very, I don't know, the sense of like contentment in knowing her own story and not having to convince them of that necessarily, even though she tried, but she was just like, yeah, I know the truth. <laughs> you know, this is how it was. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about the story of Lara and Peter Duke at Tom Lake? You know, it's kind of interesting because when I read this, I was expecting like this big love story. Like you get swept up in it, like a typical romance sort of situation. And, you know, that Duke is like the one that got away and all of the ripple effects of that later in Lara's life. And then as I kept reading, I was like, no, no, no. This is the story about how Joe is the love of her life and how it's not always the most passionate relationships or the ones that matter. And then as I kept reading, I was like, actually, I don't think it's about either of those things. And I think it's just about the fact that Laura had all these different moments in her life, all of these different relationships. And ultimately, like they all kind of played into a story that is hers. It's not Joe's or Duke's. And I really like loved that about the book so much. And also like I was expecting because I love like a famous person, real person, romance like you. I was not like enamored or infatuated with Duke at all. Like I found him to be horrible <laughs> from start yeah, to he, finish. I feel like he was so that was so realistic as the type of guy that you date in your 20s. And of course, oh, you yes. don't end up with him. But it's like, yeah, he's really charismatic. And we're like having sex. And I think that I'm in love with him. But of course, in reality, you're not. And, you know, yeah. he has all these demons, but like, I'll look past them. It's fine. And <laughs> it just course. felt so realistic as I think Lara's 24 when this is happening, like the type of relationship that you would have at 24. And then looking back at it at 57, which is how old she is in the present timeline, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so silly. But mm -hmm. I, it's so interesting that because he became famous, this became imbued with so much more where it was like, it must have been fantastic. Like the same way we were talking about having lunch with Meryl Streep, where it's like, ah, uh, yes, we like sat at a table <laughs> and like drank yeah. room temperature water. And at one point she had some romaine lettuce stuck in her teeth. Like it probably wasn't that glamorous, right. but like the idea yeah. of the story of it is like incredibly glamorous. It's true. Were you ever like rooting for Duke though? or them to be together in like a meaningful way. I mean, obviously no. you kind of knew that they weren't, but... No, but I was reading to find out what happened and to to find mm -hmm. out why they weren't together because you know that she's not with Duke in the present. I also thought it was really interesting what Tom Lake represented to each of them where, you know, for Lara, it's like this flight of fancy summer where she was... And, you know, kind of her whole acting era was just this time where she did this thing and haha, isn't this funny? Versus for Duke later in the book, it feels mm -hmm. like this was like such a pure space for him. This was the summer before he got famous. This was like the last time he was a quote unquote regular person. And it seemed like it like really stuck with him for a different reason, like a sadder reason yeah. almost. And seeing how like two different people can have two different memories of the same experience. 
Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you, do you have a Tom Lake in your own life, like a brief period of time or a place that if you committed to it, your life would have just been totally different? Um, I mean, when I studied abroad my sophomore year, I was there for the whole year. And by the end of it, I was like, I am not leaving. Like I'm transferring to this college. And I did like talk to my parents about it. And I think that there is definitely a version of things where if I had pushed a little harder and pitched it a little harder, I could have done it. And I don't think I ever would have come back. (laughs) Like, I think I would have found a way to stay because I loved it so much. And I loved being like by myself so much in this like other world. But I never would have met Jake, never would have worked in New York probably. So that is your Tom Lake. It is. And it was like just as chaotic and toxic really as Tom Lake (laughs) and wonderful. But like, yeah, there's definitely like it could have happened. It was very close. I could be riding a bike in yeah. the Netherlands right now. And I would have fit in very well with my height. That, that Honestly, that was partially it. I was just like, everyone is tall here. I clearly should just stay. <laughs> what about you? I guess San Francisco would be my Tom Lake. I lived there for two years in my early slash mid 20s. And I really liked it there. I, I made a lot of really good friends there that I'm still friends with. And I don't know, my life, it wouldn't have been so markedly different as you moving to Utrecht or, or, you know, Lara being an actress. But I'm like, oh, no, I think my life would have been fairly different if I'd stayed in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. It's funny how, I don't know, life just happens that way. Yeah. Do you ever like wish that there was a version like that? Or are you like, this is how it's supposed to be? No, I think this is how it's supposed to be. And every time I go back to San Francisco, my impression is always, this is a great city to be young in. This is... I think a really difficult city to live in as an adult. It's so expensive. The public transportation kind of sucks. Like, mm-hmm. but it's fun. So I'm like, oh, it was a great city to live in for two years in my mid 20s. What about the reveals in this book? Did they surprise you? And if so, which ones? Yes. This was one of my favorite parts of this book is that I feel like I was being surprised so many times. Like, first of all, the reveal at the midpoint that. Joe is the director in the play. I had no idea. That threw me. That threw me. I was like, wait, what? It's intentionally obfuscated. When I listened the second time, I was like, were there clues that I missed? And it is like Mm -hmm. she refers to him as Nelson when he's the director and Joe as her husband. And so you're not given enough to know. My mind was blown by that. And then also the third act of her seeing Duke again and them having sex and her having an abortion. And like the fact that Emily could not have been Peter Dukes because she aborted that child. But of course you can't say this to an angry 12 year old. Right. It gave me so much more retroactive empathy for the Lara who was Emily's mom when Emily was raging that Peter Duke was her father. And it's like, I don't know, like it it was semi-consensual, but it was like this man that I had this unwanted sexual experience with and then had to terminate that pregnancy. Like I imagine that would be fairly traumatic for Lara, the character, and then to have her daughter be so unable to be convinced that she was not his daughter would, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I like, I feel for you so hard. Yeah. I had a feeling there would be something at the end that like they met up again or or something like that. And that whole scene as like horrible and painful as, as it was felt very real to me. Yes. Like I feel like for a lot of people that have those type of relationships with people who are 
toxic or just not right for them or don't care about them in the same way or whatever. I feel like there's always that like moment where you, you go back or you go too far or it's just like one last thing that's like, you know, the end of it. And yeah, I mean, it was hard to read, but it felt very real. Yeah. And then also the reveal that Peter Duke had died. Oh, yeah. I did not see that coming either, that that was why they were talking about the story to begin with, because he had died. And then when Sebastian showed up at the end, I guess maybe that one surprised me less, but I thought that was such a beautiful full circle moment. Yeah. I liked it as well. A lot. Yeah. How did you feel about the ending? I liked it. It felt very subtle. You know, it was just like, I feel like it was the way it was supposed to be. Um, There was definitely a part of me that was like, there's definitely a version of this book, probably by a writer who's not as good as Ann Patchett, where the reveal is that actually Emily yes. is, is Duke's daughter. Yeah. And then, you know, Lara just lies to her about it to like kind of keep the thing. Or like, you know, I can see the kind of played out thing where like Joe knows that it's Duke's daughter, but he like still raises her. But like it was so much more nuanced and elevated than that. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I agree with that. I felt like the ending of this was so satisfying because when she finished the story of her and Duke, I was like, okay, like what happens now? Like it was not that it was unsatisfactory, but it kind of just was like, okay, we had the summer. He cheated on me. I broke Mm -hmm. my leg. I went to LA and I was kind of like, oh, like what happens now? And I, I didn't know where it was going. And I was so delighted feels like the wrong word because of the heavy nature of what happens. But I just thought that it was so expertly and surprisingly weaved together and like brought to a conclusion that was perfect for the book. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the ending has a lot to do with setting too, which is like such a huge part of this book, the farm and Tom Lake. But for me, particularly the farm, I was like enamored with, but like, it was just incredible. Like, are you just floored? Olivia, the fact that Ann Patchett did not grow up on a cherry farm, which she did not, that she did not grow up in Michigan and that the The research she must have had to do. She hired a research assistant who Mm. was from a cherry farm in Michigan. So she did have like a firsthand source for all of this. And the fact that the people in this book are not real people, like it just felt everything about this felt so crisp and clear to me from the farm Mm -hmm. to who the daughters are to who Peter Duke and Palace and Sebastian. The fact that this is not nonfiction is shocking. Yeah. It was so good. And also what I appreciated about it was like, obviously the descriptions of life on the farm are so idyllic and like just, I was there and I was relaxed and I was like in this ambiance room of a place. But also like, I think Ann Patch did a very good job of describing like the shitty parts of it, like the hard parts, the parts that aren't for everyone, the like stress of it. And like that felt very real to me. And it wasn't like the good stuff outweighed the bad stuff for me. It was just like, okay, all together, I see why someone would choose this life again and again and again, even if it is so hard. Yeah. And I liked that a lot. Yeah. So on the surface, I think this book is about Lara's opportunity to have what is widely considered a very glamorous life being an actress, but walking away from it in exchange for a simpler life on the farm with Joe and then later her family. And throughout the book, this is something that her daughters just cannot grasp or cannot understand. Like, how did you feel about that 
duality. Did you understand why she didn't want to be an actress? Like, how would you feel if your mom was telling you the story? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think it's like pretty reflective of like the parent-child relationship in the sense that I think like no matter what the parent chooses, the child's always going to be like, why would you not do this? Like, I often think about if we have kids, since we live like kind of in a rural area that's really close to the biggest city in the world... (laughs) Um, like I can imagine having kids and them being like, why would you live here instead of there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's so close. Like, why would you not want to do that? Which to me, it's like something simple makes a lot more sense. But like, I would understand that question too. But if it was the opposite way, like I can see a city kid being like, I don't know, eventually like, oh, I wish I had a simpler life or something like that, you know, a slower pace life when they get older. I think it's just kind of human nature when you're a kid. Yeah, I loved it. I also loved that Lara's trying to express to them the randomness of it, and especially to her youngest daughter who who desperately wants to be an actress. I thought it was so nicely set up where she's like, I was at these auditions because my grandmother was making the costume and I thought I could do a better job. And so then I played this role. And then when I saw it in college, like a part open up, I like auditioned again. And then you know, like just kind of like the dominoes of like one thing led to the other, but it was never a conscious choice of like, I want to be a famous actress. I thought, and like, just right. like the randomness of who makes it versus who doesn't. Yeah. It really made me think a lot about like the weight we put on like pivotal moments in our life. And like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like maybe it's just like, it's going to go the way it goes and there's going to be pros and cons at every turn. And like, that's okay. I think, a lot of the narrative with like looking back is like, should have done this, should have done that, could have been this, could have been that. And I just always got the sense through this book that like Laura was never thinking that, you know, mm-hmm. like it was just kind of like, this is how it ended up and that's fine. I almost wish I had omitted this from the outline so I could spring this on you. But in this book, <laughs> I just read it and I was like, <laughs> yeah. So in this book's her magic interview, Ann Patchett says, that until very, very late in the process, she was debating whether Lara was the narrator or Sebastian was. I... I don't like this. My mind is blown and I'm like, Lara is so obviously the right choice. But then I'm in my head, I guess, you know, obviously the daughters would have been very far background characters if Sebastian was the narrator. So then I'm like, what would the story have been if Sebastian was the narrator? To me, Sebastian only really existed to serve as like a foil to how toxic Duke was, his brother was. Like, I couldn't imagine it. Well, I think it would have been a completely different book. And I am almost like, yeah, Ann Patchett, write that one too, because I would like to read (laughs) that side of it where it's like, what happened to Sebastian in all those intervening years? Well, you know, if this becomes a TV show or something, I can definitely see more focus on Sebastian and like a way to expand his story in that way. I'm fascinated by this tidbit. So this book is classified as literary fiction, but it felt very accessible and fast paced. What do you think contributed to that? I think that the writing was very spare. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of things Ann Patrick was able to capture in a single sentence versus going on for paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. Like, I think she was very restrained with her descriptions and exposition within the book. So a lot of it was action and was happening in scene. And then I think that there was just so, like, there was obviously the main plot of 
Lara telling the story to her daughters and then within the story, her getting to Tom Lake and then meeting and having this summer with Peter Duke, there was so much more to it with like Uncle Albert and his addiction issues and Palace and kind of the racism of her not being able to get a lead part and Maisie dealing with all of everyone's animal mm-hmm. issues. Like there were so many little subplots. Like there was so much happening in this book. I don't know. Yeah. And it was also subtle. Like it really, yes. none of it was like in your face. Like I think there's a version of this book where like it could have been a lot more about Duke's addiction issues and alcoholism. And like that's in there. And I think it's addressed really interestingly, but like it's not like so in your face all the time. It's just woven together so expertly. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this. Do you think this book would make a good movie or TV series? I would literally pay any amount of money to see this visually. (laughs) Like to see the cherry farm visually. I see it so clearly in my head, but like I want to like be in a movie theater and looking at the cherry farm and, and everything. I don't know if it would be good, but I can definitely see it as like an HBO limited series or something. What about you? That's so funny because I feel like I enjoyed this book so much, but I I almost feel like it should not be adapted, which probably means that in the future it will be adapted, oh, really? win awards, and I will be proven wrong. But <laughs> I mean, I feel like the present timeline at the Cherry Farm, so much of it is just people having conversations. Like there's not that much happening. And I don't know. I I. I feel like this should stay as a book. I could see that. I could see that argument for sure. And I feel like also so much of what makes this so wonderful and special is being able to hear inside Lara's head. And I feel like if Mm -hmm. you just had the surface level of what she was saying out loud without the subtext of what's in her head, I feel like this book would lose so much. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't consider that, but you're so right. I don't know. I will be curious to see if it does get adapted. But in my head, I finished this and I was thinking about that. And I was like, no, I really feel like this should just be left as its own perfect thing as a book. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Olivia, let's get into some end matter here. What are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with the past few years I've made, well, three years ago, I should say, when we came to the Outer Banks, I made this playlist. I think it's something like songs for staring at the ocean and crying or feeling emo. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) That's a vibe. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a very Pisces thing. (laughs) Every year I whip it out for like a long, cloudy beach walk. And it just like immediately brings me back to where I was at any given year of the past few years. And like, I just think about how my life is different, how it's better, how it's changed, how I've grown. And I just, I really like it. I don't know. I, I really like it. So so that's my obsession. Can you give me an example of maybe two of the songs that are most representative of this playlist? Hmm. Yes. There's a lot of James Vincent McMorrow. Like, if I had a boat, that song. Um, It's just very like sort of singer-songwriter with a guitar. Someone has hurt them. Slowly crooning. Also, this song which is one of my all-time favorite songs, but I feel like no one has ever heard of the singer. It's a song, If Only, by this band called Fink, F-I-N-K. Never heard of it. I've been listening to this song since college and will make me cry every time immediately. Like, it is so sad, so perfect. If you're by an ocean, stand there, put on your noise-canceling headphones, play If Only by Fink and just weep. And I'll be there in spirit. (laughs) That's how you summon Olivia. You summon Bloody Mary by saying... 
Bloody Mary into a mirror three times in the dark and you summon <laughs> Olivia by listening to this sad song on a beach. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's <laughs> what's your obsession? My obsession is an Instagram account. It is NY Metro Weather. So the whole premise of the account is every day they post an out of 10 rating for the day's weather and then a description in terms of vibes. And this is the only way I want to consume weather content. Like Alexa's like, here's the temperature. And I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me the vibes. So for example, I've seen this. I'm obsessed. So today's Friday weather rating, eight out of 10. And then the description is, we start the day with sunny skies, temperatures in the 70s and comfortable dew points. Not bad. Clouds move in and humidity increases tonight. The vibes are very good for now. I'm like, this is how I want to hear about the weather. Amazing. I hope someone's getting a raise somewhere. I'm obsessed. I love that. What have you read? Oh, I read something very surprising for me. So I pulled this book out of my pile because it's been sitting there for months. And so I, instead of reading from the top of my pile down, I pulled from the bottom of the pile. So this book is called The Niger Wife by Vanessa Walters. And it was a GMA book club pick from over the summer. And it's a suspense book. And I would compare it to Crazy Rich Asians meets The Last Thing He Told Me. And it's about, Hmm. yeah, so it's about this woman who's British who moves to Nigeria because her husband is from there and she has two young kids and she goes missing. And so her aunt comes down from the UK to try to figure out what's going on. And her husband is from this like very rich family. So there's like past chapters before she went missing where you get to read all about her like very glamorous life in Nigeria. And she is part of this expat community where they call themselves Niger wives of women who've emigrated from other countries to come to I think in all cases, like their husband's home country. And it was like very fascinating in a crazy rich Asians way. And then the mystery of like, where has she gone? What has happened to her? I really liked this because it wasn't too scary. Like she's already missing. And like the forces at play are not like stalker scary or like rampant murderer on the loose scary. (laughs) So I really liked this. It sounds really good. It was really, really good. And I don't think that I've ever read anything set in Nigeria before. And it was so interesting to read about kind of like how the country is developing and kind of the attitudes around like art and clothing and like, I don't know, things. It was it was really, really interesting. What about you? What did you read? Okay, so I've been reading a lot. I've been trying to read some like mystery thriller type things to consider October book club picks. So more on that in a minute. I read The Quiet Tenant by, I'm probably going to get this pronunciation wrong. I will look it up, but by Clemens Michelon. She's French, but anyway, I apologize. So this is about, oh my gosh, I'm like afraid to talk about it too much because it will give something away, but it is about a serial killer. I'll just say that. Okay. I am going to go so hard for this book. I am obsessed with this book. This is one of the best books I have read in years. Like the writing, I wanted to underline, highlight like every sentence. I was so impressed. I could not put it down. Could not put it down. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Also, this is the author 
who their first language is French, their first English book. And I'm like, blown away, blown away. Anyway, so I read that. Great. I also read Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. This oh, is I've been very, seeing this everywhere. It's one of the most interesting books I've ever read. Like it's different than any kind of mystery ever. It's fascinating. It is about a family also during the pandemic, which is interesting, whose father goes missing one day. And when he's missing, he is with his 14-year-old son who is nonverbal or so they think. And it's a lot about his condition. It's called either angle man or angel man syndrome. And so I learned so much and it's just formatted in this really interesting way. I really, really enjoyed this one. It is very long and also like reads, it's hard to explain, but it reads very much like a, um, like a study or like it's very clinical sometimes, Mm -hmm. but there's also so much heart and the mystery is great. It was just really surprising. And if you want something different and you like a mystery, I would suggest it. Okay. I also read The Christmas Orphans Club again, <laughs> which I posted about, which was a delightful little beach reading experience. And you should check out my Instagram post for some of my favorite lines and parts. And there's just so much that made me laugh. The line about the flat Stanley of boyfriends, I was just like genius. Anyway, it was just great. And then of course I read Tom Lake. Well, do we have an October book club pick? So I went back and forth between None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, which I also really loved. And if you're looking for a thriller, I would suggest that one as well. But I am just so obsessed with The Quiet Tenant that I think it has to be our October book club pick. It is dark, darker. It's fast paced. It's a little more like literary than some thrillers, but like it's really accessible. And I was just blown away by it. So I hope everyone likes it. All right. I'm ready to be scared. No sleep October. (laughs) Read it with the the lights on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So we will be reading that for the last week of October. In the meantime, come join us in the Facebook group to talk about Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Also, we started a Geneva group last week, which is kind of like a chat room type app, which I think could be really useful for us as we become a bigger community to kind of segment so you only see the content that you care about. So we have a bunch of different rooms for like different cities and then we have different rooms for different genres of books. And so, you know, I think maybe it could help people to kind of still participate but not be overwhelmed by the amount of content. So if you have Geneva, you can get it on desktop or as an app on your phone, just search for Bad on Paper and come join us there. It's kind of an experiment. And then we're on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. My book, The Christmas Orphans Club, is out now. Please, 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 please buy a copy. Yes, do that. And I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.